0: My name is Fred, I'm the lead pastor here and uh, I'm so glad you're here. If I didn't get a chance to meet you on the way in and you're new, I'd love to meet you on the way out um, and just get to know you a little bit. Um, I'm gonna go ahead and and dive in. I wanna tell you about a game that we played in elementary school and I kinda get the impression It was a Texas only, maybe even a Carrollton where I was from only, maybe even a good elementary only game Um, because it's a game called zone dodge. Anybody? Okay, let me explain it to you. It's vicious but fun. Imagine like a tennis court, right? You've got the the middle line, then you've got the court, and then you've kind of got the out of bounds area. Um, so, So that's kind of the idea of the court of zone dodge. And it's like dodgeball in that you have those red balls that you zing at each other and you try and get each other out by hitting them. And you've got two teams. It starts with one ball in the middle and your fastest person runs to the middle to grab the ball. And then the object is to get the other team out one by one, pegging them to get them out. However, if someone catches the ball that you threw, then you're out, right? Does that sound familiar? Kind of like dodgeball? Here's where it gets interesting. When you're out, you're not really out because you leave your side of the court and you go behind the other side of the court, and that creates the zone. So now, if your team has the ball, they can throw it through the opposing team to the people that's on their team behind the opposing team. They can catch it and try and still get the opposing team out. So it becomes really fast at that point and a whole lot of fun. And if you want to make it a marathon game, if you're out and you get somebody else out, you can get back in. And the game just keeps on going and going and going, right? Now, some of y'all are nodding heads. Is that like another name? What? Prison dodgeball? where did you grow up? Delaware, Delaware, LA. Well, okay. Um, (laughs) That's that's hilarious. Um, (laughs) Oh, that's great. Um, We just called it zone dodge. Um, uh, but, But here's the deal. I loved playing zone dodge, but I was awful at it. Like, I didn't move fast enough, I didn't throw fast enough, I couldn't catch the ball very well, I was awful at it. Even though I loved playing it, I always had this fear kind of sneaking up to it, because because guess who always got picked last? The kid with a broken leg got picked last, I got picked right before him. (laughs) Mostly, sometimes maybe after him. I was that bad. And so whenever it would would get close to playing the game, I always had this fear that this was going to be the time that they just said no thanks, that this was going to be the time that I got passed over. This was going to be the time that I didn't get picked. (coughs) And this is our common thought for this week, because I think all of us have felt this, that this was the time that I was going to be left out. Now, I was left out of a lot of sports growing up. I wasn't a sports kid. And maybe you were in that ball, maybe you were in that, in, that, in that arena too where you were the last one picked or you were one of the last ones picked. Or maybe you were like Emmanuel because he was the kid that was the brilliant sports star in elementary school. And he was the kid that was always picked first for zone dodge because he threw that ball and it hurt when it hit you. He was that kid. And one time I caught his ball by the grace of God and my arms were like bruised and red from catching the ball. That was also the last time I think I caught his ball. But maybe that was you too and you were picked or maybe as an adult, maybe sports is your thing, but maybe you have been left out in a whole other way. Maybe, maybe you have a group of friends that have left you out, right? Facebook is notorious feeling this way isn't it you're just scrolling through Facebook and you see a picture of your friend somewhere without you and you feel left out right maybe it's co-workers and they did something and you feel left out maybe it's a study group that decided to study without you and you feel left out you see I think we all have this place and we all have this thought of being left out and in church In church, when you look at the landscape of church, and and y'all, fellowship um, is is not, we're pretty good at this. But when you kind of scroll back and you look at the landscape of churches, and if you look at one particular part of church, if you look at church leadership, there's one particular group in the church that often feels left out of church leadership, and it's women. That when you look across the landscape of church, oftentimes women feel left out of church leadership. And here's the question that we're going to try and answer today is, are women left out of church leadership? Biblically, are women left out of church leadership? Now, we're in a series called Can I Say That? And in this series, we're taking thoughts that are common to all of us. And uh, we're running that thought through the lens of Scripture, through the grid of Scripture. And when we do, we often come up with this, a scandalous statement that's biblically true. Because oftentimes that thought that's common in our head is a lie. And when we run that lie through the grid of Scripture, we see a truth that feels scandalous. Which is why we're calling this series, Can I Say That? Because that truth of God, that truth of Jesus, that truth the Holy Spirit gives us, sometimes is shocking to us. And today, we're going to look at the topic of women in church leadership. Now, I know there are all kinds of opinions on this, right? And here's where I want us to enter this topic. I want us to enter this topic understanding that where you land on this topic isn't a reason to break fellowship, right? There are great people on all, most, not all. There are great people on most sides of this argument, most sides of this thought. And what I'm gonna present to you today is where I land and and where I believe our church lands. And if you disagree with me, that's okay. That's okay. What we have to decide and what we have to agree on is can we walk together in unity even if we do disagree? And if the answer to that is yes, then we walk together. And so, here's what I hope happens today. I hope that today we leave this sermon with an understanding about our own hearts and our own souls. And how all of us like to push boundaries with God. But I also hope that we leave today with hope. Hope in the gospel. Hope that, things, that one of the things that God does is he makes things new again and hope that one day in heaven all things will be right. That's our hope. And so what we're going to do is we're going to start off in Genesis. Genesis. And, and we're going to be in Genesis 1, chap, uh, chapter 1, verses 26 through 28. Um, if you need a Bible, there's one right in front of you. It's on page 2 of that Bible at the very beginning. If you uh, uh, have the Bible app on your phone, like like the bishop said, you can... Uh, look under events, and then click on Fellowship Asheville, and all of the texts will be there are today, and what we're going to do is we're going to start off in Genesis, and then we're going to jump to the New Testament, because what we're going to see in Genesis is we're going to look at the garden. We're going to look at at Genesis chapter one and chapter two about how God created man and woman, and in the garden, we're going to see a picture of how God wanted man and women to, to work together. And then as we know, sin entered the garden. And because sin, because of sin, it twisted everything that happened in that garden. And then we're going to fast forward to Jesus. And we're going to fast forward to the Holy Spirit coming on those Jesus followers. Because what we're going to see God do is give us a glimpse of the garden again. Only it's new and it's better. And I'll explain how it's better. But what we're going to see is the pattern in the garden repeat itself in the church. And that that pattern is where we are. Now, let's start in verse 26. Genesis 1, verse 26 through 28 says this. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them. So in here when it says man, it means humanity. And let them have dominion over the fish, of the sea and over the birds, of the heaven and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Now, notice the pronoun that's used here a lot, right? It says man, and then what pronoun is used after that? Them. Let us create them. And you see this word, them, quite a bit in this passage. Let them have dominion. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them. And so here we see that that in this act of creation, where God created man and women, he did something the same for both of them. He gave them this this equality that God loves his creation as humanity. He doesn't have a favorite of male over female, but that he created them both. And it says that both are made in his image. And so what that means is that somehow, and, 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 and I don't know how this, this worked, but that in humanity, there is the stamp of God on man and woman. No matter where the man comes from, no matter where the woman comes from, no matter where the man is going, no matter where the woman is going, there is the stamp of God on both man and woman. And that is the same. That is equal. And so when God created man and woman, he created them with equality. But not only did he have equality, did they have equality? Look at verse 26. It says, let them have dominion. So let them, there's them again, have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. I don't know why I love that phrase so much, but I do over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Like, I can picture exactly what he's talking about with that. But here we see that God created man and woman, not just with equality, but also also with work to do. Right, so he created them with equality, and he created them with a, a, a job to do, with work. And that word dominion means to rule, and it means to lead. And so God created humanity with this desire to lead. Now it's interesting that work here is seen in the garden because tomorrow morning you're gonna think that work was a result of the fall, right? When you get up and you have to go to work, it doesn't feel like a garden experience, right? But this image of God that's in us has this quality where, where we are designed to have a purpose and we are designed to work and we are designed both male and female to make the world a better place by the work that we do. That's from the garden. And there's something else about this garden that they lived in. Flip over to Genesis chapter two and we see it there. Now, Genesis chapter one and Genesis chapter two are both accounts of creation. It's like looking at a diamond from one side and then turning it and looking at the diamond from the other side. You get a different perspective. You see different things. That's what Genesis chapter two is. And so in Genesis chapter two, we get another perspective of what happened when God created man and woman. So start in verse 15. It says this. You can follow along with me. It says the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. And so in this garden... That God placed Adam and Eve in. We see in Genesis chapter 2 that he placed um, Adam in there first. And when he did, he gave Adam this boundary about his work. He gave Adam one rule to follow. He, he said, you have dominion over everything, but don't eat the fruit of this one tree that was the boundary and that was the rule and so so we see that when God created man and woman not only did he create them with with equality not only did he create them with a work to do he also gave them a boundary in that work he told them go this far and no more and then we're going to see this passage of the creation of Eve because this boundary was there for Eve too as we know how the story unfolds but look at verse 18 It says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Now, out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called, every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to all birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. And so we see that God placed Adam in the garden first, and his first assignment was as God created the animals, it was Adam's job to come up with a name for him. And you gotta think, man, that must have been awesome, because the first giraffe, imagine the first giraffe coming up out of the ground under, uh, under God's workmanship and masterpiece, and all of a sudden this giraffe walks in front of Adam, and he's thinking, what in the world do I name that? And he gets to do that, he he, he got to name it. But as these animals were being created and as they were being paraded in front of Adam, there was one striking thing that he noticed, there was no one like him. There was no one that could come alongside of him because this word helper, that's what it means. It means to, to, to lead and have dominion side by side. Now when we say helper, oftentimes we think of the book or the movie The Help, right? When we hear helper, we think of servant. We think of someone who does our bidding. That's not the biblical picture for what this word is. This word literally means side by side. And so when Adam looked across creation, there was no one to lead side by side with him, which is why God did this. Look at verse 21. It says, so the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Matthew Henry, who's a commentator of the Bible, his stuff is great to read. He says this about what we see here because his words capture it so well. It says, the woman was made Of a rib out of the side of Adam, not made out of his head to rule over him, nor out of his feet to be trampled on, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected, and near his heart to be beloved. And so here we see equality between man and woman, but we also see something else that's very important that God created man and woman with a difference. That a man is a man and a woman is a woman. As a matter of fact, the woman was created in a way unique only to her. God didn't create woman the same way God created everything else. Eve wasn't just another creation like Adam. She was different than Adam. Now, it seems obvious to state that men and women are different. But in today's culture, I think it's actually important for us to state that. That a man is a man and a woman is a woman. And they have a difference. If you don't believe me, get married. Right? Men and women see the world differently. And there is pages and pages and pages and years of research to back this up. An author, John Gray wrote a book called Men Are From Mars and Women Are From Venus. Raise your hand if you've heard of that book. Right, it's an incredibly popular book. That guy has made millions off stating the obvious that men (laughs) are different than women. Men are different than women. And so in the garden... When we see how God created man and God created woman, we see this difference. Now, I was told this years ago and I think, I think this, this holds true in most cases uh, just to highlight the difference between men and women. Men are often like a chest of drawers was the illustration given to me and women are like a closet. That men are able to open and close a drawer and women, they walk in the closet and see everything. That red dress is always there and they can't, Deal, they can't, deal's not the right word. They can't not see that red dress. But a man can take a red tie, put it in the, in the drawer, and close it, and it's done. Men are women, men and women are different. And God has made us that way. And so in the garden, we see these four aspects of how men and women are to be together and work together. And we see this, we see equality That God's image is placed on both of them, that one is not better than the other, one is not the more favorite of the other, there is equality, but there is difference. Men are men and women are women, that they both have a work to do and there is a boundary in that work. Okay, are we all all on the same page with that? Okay, so we know what happened in the garden with Adam and Eve. They wanted to do with that boundary just the exact same thing that we would want to do with that boundary. Right? They wanted to go where God said, stop. Now, why did God place that boundary in there? I don't know. Maybe it was because he wanted his creation to walk by faith and to trust him. But that boundary was there, and we know what happened. They did what God said don't do, and they ate of the fruit and when they did sin entered the world and when sin entered the world it created a division between god in his creation, between God and humanity, and in that gap, in that in that in that space that was created with sin, horrible ramifications happened of that equality and of that difference and of that work and of that of the of that boundary where equality and difference became division and subjection, where work and boundaries became slave and oppression. And what happened when they had to leave the garden? Because that's what happened. What What happened is when they left the garden women very quickly lost that position of equality that they had in the garden. Women became property to be owned. Women became a subject of all kinds of oppression, but that wasn't to last. Being left out was about to be gone because when Jesus came, he came to rebuild what Satan destroyed. And when Jesus came, the Messiah that the nation of Israel had been waiting for and the Savior that the world needed treated women radically different than the culture around them. When you look at the Gospel of Luke in particular and you look at how Jesus treated women of his day, he was scandalous in the way he treated women. Right, because he allowed women to be part of his ministry. He gave them radical dignity. So much so that even his own disciples watched him talk to a woman who no other man would talk to. Jesus went up and talked to her and shared the truth of who he was with her. And all the disciples had to say, was like, Jesus, do you know what you're doing here? Because they didn't get it. And he had women that supported his ministry. One of his best friends was a woman. And it was scandalous. Even the announcement of the resurrection. And y'all, this is such a big deal because the, the anchor of our faith, the core of our faith is based in the resurrection. Right, Paul says, if there is no resurrection, then we are all fools. Right, we shouldn't be here. We should be at Al Bakery or, or well bread. That's where we should be. But because of the resurrection, we are here and we worship. And that resurrection was announced by women, not men. That's how Jesus treated women. And not only did he treat women in a better way, what Jesus did in his death and burial and resurrection, when he came back after his resurrection to teach his disciples, one of the things he told them to do was to go and wait and pray because he was sending the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit came, was going to make everything new. And so turn with me to Acts, and let's see what happened when Jesus ushered the way for the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 2. We're going to be in verses 1 through 21. We're going to kind of jump around a little bit in that. We're not going to hit all of them. Acts chapter 2 says this. So this is the birth of the church, right? Jesus has come. His, 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 his resurrection has happened. Um, well, his, his crucifixion, his resurrection. He's ascended into, into heaven. And the disciples have gathered together in obedience to wait and pray for the coming of the Holy Spirit. And chapter 2, verse 1 says this. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Notice, there's that pronoun again, They right? It's men and women that were followers of Jesus were gathered together in one place, doing what Jesus had asked them to do, to stay together and to pray. And they were all gathered in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as the fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the spirit gave them utterance. And so notice what happens here. They're all filled with the Holy Spirit. And who does it say is filled with the Holy Spirit? Is it just the men that were there? No, all were filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and that filling of the Holy Spirit made them, made them speak in different languages. And, and that's what the word tongues means. It means languages. And so all these people were gathered in one place praying. And when this wind came through, what came out of their mouths next were, were different dialects of, of whatever, Egyptian and whatever languages of those around them, all of these different languages. But here we see the same thing that we saw in the garden, that there is equality. That it wasn't just to a select group of them. It was to all who were there. All who were walking in obedience. So this common thought of I'm left out. Y'all listen to me. In Jesus, no one is left out. In Jesus, no one is left out. So this Holy Spirit came upon everybody with equality but there's something else that happens. They're speaking different languages, and look why. Pop down to uh, verse 14. Look at this. It says, but Peter... Standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose. Why did he say that? Because it's early in the morning and they're all babbling in different languages. And so the natural assumption is they have been out all night. And they are still going strong. But Peter says very clearly, they're not drunk As you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day, but this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And so now Peter's going to quote a prophet. It says In the last days, it shall be as God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on what flesh? All flesh. And so here in this verse, we see the Spirit being poured out on everybody. But notice the prophet Joel did something. He said it will be on the young and old and it will be on male and female. Why? Because there's still a difference. Men and women are still men and women. And even though there's equality, there is difference. And so why will God do this on both men and women? Because look at verse 21. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Why is God pouring out his spirit on both men and women, young and old, slaves, servants, and free? Because there is a job to do. Where in the garden, it was to have dominion. In the church, it is to share the gospel so that everyone can be saved. We get to tell the world about Jesus so that they can be saved. So that they can know that their Savior has come. That's the work to do. So you see equality, you see difference, and you see work. And so in Acts, we see all of this happening happening again. Both men and women getting these spiritual gifts. That's what the term is. That when the Holy Spirit indwells you, uh, there they got languages because that's what they needed because this was the time of Pentecost. And what that means is that in Jerusalem, Jews from every nation was gathered. They were gathered there. And so when the Spirit came and descended upon them and gave them languages, it was so they could share the gospel in the native tongue of the people who had come from all over the world to hear about Jesus. That was that spiritual gift to do the work that needed to be done. And when you say yes to Jesus as your savior and you become a fulfillment of this prophecy in Joel that you become saved, you get indwelled with the Holy Spirit because you have got a work to do. Now, he may not give you a different language. He may give you a completely different gift, but the gift that he gives you is for us, the church, because the gift that he gives you is to equip And to build up the church. And those gifts are varied. And it's here that we get our scandalous statement, and it's the answer to our common thought I'm left out. It's this, is that you're not left out. Because in Jesus, the Spirit gives all gifts to all kinds of people. In Jesus, no one is left out. Now, there are glimpses of this in the Old Testament. But in the New Testament, it becomes clearly evident. Do you realize there are over, when we look just at women in ministry, there's over a 100 different mentions of women that had powerful places of ministry in the Old Testament and New Testament. Listen to this. Miriam, she was a prophet of the Lord, which means in, in Exodus, you see this, Exodus 15, she speaks God's words over the nation of Israel. Not quoting just the Old Testament. She does what we saw Peter do where she says, thus says the Lord about you. That's a powerful place. That was a woman, Miriam, who did that. Deborah was a prophet and a judge over the nation. And that's in Judges. Huldah, with an unfortunate name, she though was also a prophet over the nation of Israel. In 2 Kings, countless women served in the temple to create a space of worship (coughs) for the nation. But it was Mary in the New Testament. Mary was the one, the first one to announce that the Savior had come. A woman. Anna was a prophet in the temple when Joseph and Mary brought the baby Jesus into the temple After um, he had been alive for eight days. And she's the one who, upon seeing him, was filled with the Spirit to declare, This is the Messiah, a baby. She told the nation of Israel, Thus says the Lord, pay attention. This is the one we've been waiting for. That's Anna. Mary Magdalene was a friend of Jesus. Priscilla, who was the wife of a guy named Aquila. She was a teacher of God's word and a discipler of, of people. There was this guy named Apollos who uh, kind of knew a lot about the Bible, but he was wrong on a few things. And this couple, Priscilla and Aquila, took Apollos under, the, under their wings and Priscilla is the one that taught him the word of God to correct his theology. And Apollos went on to, to, to do incredible things in ministry. He would have been a celebrity pastor of today because he was taught the word of God by a woman. And Phoebe, at the end of Romans, she was a deacon in the church in Rome. She had a title, y'all. She probably had an office somewhere. That was Phoebe. And so the, the scriptures are full of women doing incredible things with the gift of the Holy Spirit in them for the benefit of the church. But if you notice, there's still one thing missing. We've had equality, we've had difference, and we've had work to do. But what we haven't seen yet is a boundary, a clear boundary. God told Adam, don't do this. In, 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 in Acts, we don't see the Holy Spirit telling the church, don't do this. And so there's two ways that you can take that. One, you could say, then we are given complete freedom between men and women uh, to rule and lead the church any way we see fit. And, and, And that theology, that study of that, that study of God and how he works in the church is called egalitarianism. There are brilliant people who believe that. And if you believe that, you are welcome here. Like I said, this is not an issue to break fellowship over. I take a different view, and fellowship takes a different view, and it's called a complementarian view, and it says we are equal, and we are different, and we have a work to do, and there actually is a boundary in place, and what we do is we kind of scan back and look at the scriptures, and here's what we see. When you look at the Old Testament, you see that there is one place in particular that no woman ever held the position, and that was high priest. There was no woman in recorded Jewish history, there's no woman recorded in the Bible that ever held that position of authority that was the highest authority in the temple of the high priest. And when you look at the New Testament, and y'all, I have poured over it, you don't see a woman holding the position of elder. You see a deacon, You see a prophet, you see a teacher, you see an evangelist, you see all kinds of positions of authority, but you don't see an elder. And I think that is where the boundary is, that the role of elder is reserved for men. Why does God do this? I have no idea. But I'm gonna share my heart with you and tell you I don't like that boundary. And I obey it out of obedience and submission to the Lord because there's something in me that wants to push against it. Mostly because I have worked with some very godly women and I keep thinking, man, they would make great elders and they would make great elders. And it has nothing to diminish their leadership, nothing to diminish their spiritual giftedness. It's just that there is a boundary there. And I think that boundary is there because it forces us as a church to walk by faith. Because, okay, so, I'm not saying this. I had a woman tell me this in between services, and I think she's right. Because I can't say this because it sounds sexist. But I'm going to tell you she said it because she did. And she's right. And it sounds sexist on both parts. But she goes, I wonder if that boundary is there in the church. Because, In general, a woman's flesh and sinful desire is to control and a man's sinful desire is to be passive. And if that boundary is there, it forces men to be men of God and women to be women of God. And it forces women to relinquish control and it forces men into a place of leadership. I didn't say it, she did. But I think... She's right. And as a church, we have to be willing to submit to these boundaries. Because he gives us these boundaries out of mercy and out of kindness and out of goodness. And so the question is, Fred, can a woman be a pastor? Here's, okay, let me blow your mind a little bit. If you use the ESV Bible, that's the one that's in the row, and that's the one that I preach from, um, the word pastor actually is nowhere in the Scriptures. Isn't that crazy? The reason why is because we've made it up. The actual word is more like shepherd than it is pastor. But we're uncomfortable calling each other shepherds because then that makes all of us sheep. Right? And so we created this word pastor because it kind of looks like the Latin version of the word. So the real question is, what do you mean by that? If you mean, can a woman be an elder? No, I don't think so. But can a woman be a teacher of God's word? Can a woman be an evangelist? Can a woman be a, a discipler? Can a woman be a prophet? Yes, she can. Can she be an elder? No. I haven't seen it in scripture and I think, I think that's the boundary. And so what do we do? What do we do when we feel left out? What do we do, women? What do you do when you feel left out of church ministry? You do this. And we all do this when we feel left out. Number one, we have to see what's going on in our own heart. Is there a boundary that God has put in front of us that we're trying to butt up against? And if so, we have to confess and repent and turn away from that boundary and turn to the God who put that boundary in place. That's what confession and repentance looks like. And then when you feel left out, the best thing for you to do is to jump in because God has given you a spiritual gift that this church needs. If he has given you the gift of encouragement, that means we need your gift of encouragement. If he has given you the gift of teaching, that means I need you to become a a great teacher of God's word because there are people who need to hear what God's gonna say through you. If God's giving you the gift of prophecy and you can see truth in the midst of chaos, the church needs that for you. from you. If he has given you um, the ability to, 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 to care for others and to serve others, we need that from you. And so not only do you jump in when you feel left out, when you've been in for a while, you lead. You bring others with you, and you lead, and that is to men, and that is to women, and so church, how we doing? How we doing? Are you with me? And so brothers, men of the church, here's what I ask you to do. Look at these women, our sisters in Christ, with the equality that God has given them that they have every kind of gift that is given to man and look at let's look at each other with the difference that God has made us we each bring different things to the table and let's remember that we all have a work to do that this church has a work to do. There are people here in Oakley that have not heard the name of Jesus and there are people here in Oakley who maybe have had the, heard the name of Jesus, but it's not the Jesus we know. And there are people in this city that need us and, and we have a work to do to equip and encourage each other to do that, but we also all have a boundary to submit to. And let's walk in faith together in submission to that God and in submission to the boundary that he has put there. Let's pray.